Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello there, writers and book lovers. If you enjoy listening to the show and want to help me keep creating awesome content, I have a Patreon page where you can support the podcast and get exclusive access to ad-free episodes, live chats, and the Discord server. By becoming a patron, you'll be helping me cover the costs of producing the show and making it even better. So if you can, please head over to the Patreon page and join the community of Right and Wrong fans who are helping to take the show to the next level. Thank you for listening and for your support. Let's get back to it. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? Um, anything. It's a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my from? God, so many. <laughs> it was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by best-selling, award-winning historical fiction writer and occasional poet, Angela Petch. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the show. Oh, hello. Thanks for asking me to come and chat. Or oh, waffle. Yes. I hope it won't be waffle. <laughs> I, love, I love a bit of waffle. That's what we're all here for. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. So let's, um, let's talk about your work. You have, am I right in thinking it's seven published novels now? I think so. I should be more efficient <laughs> than this. Um, it's going to be seven, I think, very soon. Yeah. Um, I've got six. Okay. So it's the, the four Tuscany books. I've got, I've got three Tuscany books. Three Tuscany books. I'm using my fingers here. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've got, um, yes, uh, three others that are set elsewhere in Italy. Yes. Um, yeah. But they are all set in Italy. <laughs> yes. Um, I am very lucky because I lived in Italy for six months each year. And I lived there as a child. So I, I speak Italian um, quite well. And I've got a degree in Italian. And I'm married to a half Italian as well. So okay. and his mother is Italian. She's still alive. And he, he has to go every year. And I don't mind trailing after him. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty nice going over to... Is it Tuscany as well, I'm going to guess? It is Tuscany, yeah. but it's not what we rather snobbily call Cantishire because um, we, we're in a very unspoilt corner of Tuscany, the eastern side, where people don't really tend to go. I call it the real Italy and... Uh, in, up in the mountains, so it gets very cold in the winter because people ask us why we why we do it the way we do. They say, why don't you go to Italy to be warm in the winter? <laughs> and at the moment, you can get down to minus 15. It's snowed last week there and my wow. friends got snowed in, so we don't do it that way around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's colder than here in the UK. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, I didn't realise it was like that. So what is it about 
is it is it just this sort of love of this this deep connection you have that makes you want to write all of your stories in Italy? Well, I suppose I've always thought that it was I, when you live in England, I, um, it's not quite as exciting as living in Italy. But there's more. It's more than that. There's a connection with my mother-in-law, Italian mother-in-law, who um, unfortunately has Alzheimer's now, but she used to tell us quite a lot about her life in Italy uh, during the war when she actually married a British army captain. Um, they met at a dance that neither of them was supposed to be at and fell in love, even though they couldn't speak each other's language. And so um, she's had a very interesting life and it ju- just found out that when we moved to this part of Italy, we d- we discovered an old watermill going very cheaply, and we bought it over twenty years ago. We'd realised that it was along something called the Gothic Line, which was a line of defence that the Germans built to stop the Allies going northwards. And so, because it's such an unspoilt part of Italy, there's lots of trenches and gun emplacements and and remains of the war, plus speaking to the elderly, I discovered that I could I could find out more. I was fascinated by that period and link it to my mother-in-law's story. So it started like that, really. I never imagined I would write a book. I was just writing down her experiences. And then somebody said to me, why don't you publish it? So it went from um, there. Okay, so... So, I mean, as you're saying it, I, I can see the, you know, a lot of the inspiration for your stories, many of which are set around the kind of World War II period. Yeah. The, the second one wasn't that I wrote. It was set, uh, that was sparked off by an interest in something called the transhumance, which I, I had never heard of. And we went on an outing with some other Italians down to the, down to the sea and it uh, and they were going on a kind of um annual celebratory transumanza um feast festa and what the people from our area because i explained it was very cold they used to take the shepherds and the herdsmen used to take animals down to the coast every year because it was just too hard in the winter but the men were away for f- uh, a good 5 months of the year leaving the women and children in the mountains. And that just sparked off my imagination. Oh. <laughs> and I did loads of research on that. And I was quite surprised when Bukatur wanted to publish that. It was self-published because it's more like, um, in my, to my mind, a bit of a social history. But they have published it. It hasn't sold as many as my other books, but I'm very proud of that book. And originally I had photographs in it. They weren't brilliant quality because I... I don't know. I self-published it, and um, and I was sort of feeling my way about. But I, 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 um, I enjoyed writing that a lot. Well, that's great. I mean, I always say to people, no matter what stage in the process you are, you need to be enjoying what you're writing. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, it's sort of like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Well, if you don't enjoy it, it won't come over as yeah. being enjoyable, and the reader won't enjoy it. So, I. Um, yeah, I uh, I think you have to be careful not to become formulaic. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then balance that with the fact that the books 
books are selling and it's quite nice to to receive royalties but life's a bit short for doing stuff you don't want to do <laughs> yes i know what you mean okay so you mentioned both bookature and self publishing so mm. where did you where did this begin for you your your first book was that self published yeah my first two books were self published okay. i always i always wonder whether i should say indie published i don't I think people prefer to say indie published now, don't they? <laughs> but um, yeah, that I indie published those and I I didn't know what I was doing really. The first um, I used, I suppose, what would be called a vanity publisher first. I had no idea. And I ended up paying this company, I think, £300 and they they produced the book, but they didn't do any editing at all. And I was horrified when I got the copy back because they'd already published it and it was full of mistakes. Oh, no. Um, and eventually that company went um, bankrupt and I lost, I lost my royalties, the few royalties that I had, and I decided um, to then self-publish with KDP. And again, feeling my way. I mean, I didn't sell many, but it felt fantastic to to have my book in my hands. So that first book has gone through actually three different titles. Um, the third one, and then Bookature published it for me. I was with another publisher, and and they went into voluntary liquidation. So I, it's all been a bit of a um, an ordeal in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. it. Sounds like it's been a real roller coaster of sort of like up, down, up, down. Yes, yeah. And I'm not very techni- technical, and I'm quite proud of myself when I think back to how I, I formatted everything and made the covers and everything myself. Yeah. And there were lots of things wrong, but people seem to enjoy reading them. So yeah, yeah. So you you're, you're now working with Bookature. How did that? come about did you submit your work to them well I had been um accepted by another another company the one that went into voluntary liquidation yeah and so but and I'd heard of Bookature so I submitted to Bookature and they very they're very good they read everything and the the editor who I've actually got now she wrote back almost immediately and said it's not quite what we're looking for so I would go with the other company and then I was with the other company. I'm not mentioning any names. They they mm-hmm. didn't edit either. They just took. They did just did not do any editing. Um, and they went into voluntary liquidation. And then my editor got back in touch with me not long afterwards and said, "Oh, what about that book? What are you doing with it? Have you sent it to somebody else? Because we're interested now." <laughs> and I had. I said, well, I know I'm not, I, you know, not doing anything with it. I felt burnt, really. Yeah. And also, I'd had a, a peculiar episode where I lost my memory. We had a lot of stress, and I, I lost my memory totally for about four hours and ended up in hospital. And they told me this was oh, due God. to stress. So I said to my lovely editor that I've got now. I don't want to publish it, and I, and but she she convinced me, and um, I've been with them since. So 
uh, up and down is the right word. I yeah. Think. Wow. Mm, it was very scary. At, actually, I could have done anything in those four hours. I could have committed a murder and not realised what I was doing. <laughs> Well, that sounds like a different genre of novel. I right know. There. I've thought about trying <laughs> something <laughs> along those lines. So Bookature is not a traditional publisher. What's, fr- from like the author perspective, what's um, what's the process like working with Bookature? It's amazing. Having, having done the indie publishing before and knowing how hard it is to do the marketing, especially for somebody like me who's not savvy, who who went on to Twitter and not realising that if I put in my description of myself that I was a lover of um, anything Italian and then being besieged by lots of bare-chested men <laughs> in the yeah. feed, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, here I am waffling. They are extremely diligent about the editing. It was amazing um and they do the marketing for you they want you to do to write so i don't have to worry about buying amazon ads or or you know just being constantly bombarding people i do quite i'm quite good at engaging with people on social media but i don't have to to be at it all the time i can concentrate on the writing i feel safe with them because of all the processes of editing, you know, from the structural edits, which I I find the hardest because you've got to you've got to sometimes change the book about, and yeah, it's add and subtract, and and then the um, line edits and the copy edits, and then the final. It's very rigorous. Um, I can't choose the the cover. Um, that's, that's okay. that was a difficult thing at first because having produced my own covers with kind of from personal things, from personal photographs, but I found it quite hard because I didn't feel that sometimes the covers completely mirrored my book. But then I don't know how to sell like they sell. So, um, you know, the, it, it was a big learning curve. But I do feel very safe with them, and I do trust my editor. And um, yeah, so I've got nothing but good to say about Bookature. That's great, and I mean a very similar sentiment to I had uh, last year. I had Angela Marsons on the podcast, oh, yes. who's she's, also Bookature. I think she's amazingly successful yeah. and a lovely yes. person. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, she's on. Well, last time I spoke to her, she was on a 12 book deal. So, I, yes. you know, it's a long, long relationship they're going to have, Bookature and her. <laughs> yeah, I think she's very happy. The thought yes. of having to write 12 books, though, to me, <laughs> I have to remember my little episode. And yeah. that's another thing that, that they're very good at. They're very um, understanding. You just feel they're real people and not just somebody. Mm, at the end of a of a line who's just totting up the figures they obviously mm-hmm. are business people but they don't they're like a family am I, am I right in thinking um bookature don't do uh in the same way that traditional publishers do advances bookature just don't do advances no i no they don't do advances 
adding on to what I've just said, I suppose being vain, I it would be so wonderful to be able to go into a shop, a bookshop like Waterstones and see my books there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my books are in bookshops in America and that they have them translated they've had them translated as well into Italian which is amazing and they're available in bookshops and in France as well and in in um, Hungary so but I that's the only thing I've only seen my book for sale in a charity shop and I didn't really quite know what to make of that <laughs> second hand somebody okay. who's clearing their shelves yeah yeah, yeah. so so Bookature is a it's uh it's digital first digital first but they do you do um they do paperbacks and audiobooks as well and that's fun hearing your book being read <laughs> yeah <laughs> But the the the, paper, the paperbacks, as you say, are not going to be in the sort of high street um, no. bookshops. They are they order on. You have to order them online. Yes, I think. Yeah. I see. I'm not very savvy. I think if you wanted a local bookshop to stock your books, you could arrange for that, um, and people can order order the book from a bookshop. But they they're not going to be on a table in the front of the shop. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Harry's book. Yeah, well. <laughs> oh yes, no more. No yes, comments. Yes, yes. <laughs> um I I asked um other Angela, Angela Marsons, mm-hmm. uh, because like you at Bookature, very happy at Bookature, but mm-hmm. does not have a have an agent. Um are you have you looked into literary agents? Are you at all interested in getting an agent? No. And I can't see the point now because um they'd be getting a bit of my money, wouldn't they? Punished <laughs> to do it yeah. without. And um I suppose you know, if I, I started quite late on this, I I've got three children and I'm sort of an old fashioned mum. I stayed at home also because we we my husband worked abroad a lot, so it was quite difficult to have a um a career as such and fit in with his job. So I concentrated on the children and didn't start writing until I was in my late 50s so I think it would be very different if I was younger and this was a vital source of income but it isn't I'm 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 old I'm retired and so I can afford not to treat it as 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 a as a an important income yeah but I mean like you said uh you have an you know an established working relationship with bookature everything mm-hmm. seems to be going well yes having an agent would just mean that or they, they, i mean they wouldn't have anything to do because you already have a, you already have the deal set up so you yeah know. well i think the very the, the 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 thing is that bookatures want you to write and not have to worry about other stuff i suppose that's what an agent does i don't know i've never i've never looked into having an agent because i okay. never really believed I would be published. I really yeah. didn't. It, it's been such a joy, and I still pinch myself. And I'm people say, "But you've, but you've um, sold hundreds of thousands of books, and and you should go on about it." But it's not my character, and um, I I still feel it's a bit of a dream. 
And I want it to be like that because I don't want it to become something um, of a grind. Yeah, I, I get that because it's something you love and you want to kind of protect it in that way. Yeah. yeah, I want to love writing. I don't want to think, oh gosh, I've got to write. Yes, yeah, that's a really healthy way of looking at it. You would, So you alluded to it earlier um, that, that, that you do have a, a new book coming out soon that I don't think has been announced yet. Can you tell us anything about it? Oh, (laughs) stop me if I get boring. Um, So my husband's family, Italian family, have um, featured a bit in my books. And his grandfather, um, Luigi, who is going to be Luigi in my book, um, was really anti-fascist. And he helped the partisans during the war and he also rescued the lives of many Jews. He's from from a city called Urbino, which is probably not as well known as other places like Florence or Siena, but it's a beautiful, beautiful city in next to Tuscany in the region called Le Marche. And I got married there and know it quite well. And he was so modest. We had not realized until after he died the extent of his involvement with the partisans. And we found a box of his letters and papers in a, in a, in a pile that was going to be thrown away. We found a medal in there that he had been awarded with by the Italian government for being an active partisan. Um, and so this, I just felt this had to be written about. And um, so there's, I'm, I'm excited about it. I hope people will enjoy reading it. And um, that's going to be coming out in April. I have, I have seen the title and I have seen the cover, but it's not in the public domain yet. So I can't really okay. tell you anything about that. But and my husband's very pleased that I've written it. But I mean, obviously, when it, whenever he talks about his grandfather and and how modest he was about what he did, um, tears come into his eyes. So I'm a, I'm quite anxious that I didn't that I do this this subject justice. The other thing I've I Italians are so amazingly generous, hospitable, human. Um, went to the the Jewish, the main Jewish museum in Ferrara, and um, I couldn't find any of the facts that I discovered on display because the, the Italians saved the lives of 80% of the Jews during the war. Um, and that's an amazingly high statistic when you, when you compare with, with the fact that in the rest of Europe, 80% of Jews lost their lives. So, and I said to the manageress, there's nothing about this in your museum. You've got all the films about um, the Holocaust and, and, the, and the way Jews were not allowed to go to school and work. And, but there's nothing about how ordinary Italians saved the, the lives of so many Jews. And it was almost as if, well, you know, that's not what everybody does. So that's in my book, I've tried to put over this fact. Um, hope I've, I hope I've managed to do it. Yeah. We shall see. It sounds very personal so and, and very sort of close to, to your heart and your family's heart. So that's, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be really lovely um, when it comes out. It's interesting that you, 
it's coming out in April and we're recording this in March and, 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 uh, the cover and sort of title still have not been fully finalized really just shows you the difference in pace between traditional publishing and, uh, Bookature's sort of digital first approach because it, traditional publishing, that cover would have been announced like months and months ago with the title would have been confirmed and locked in. So that's, it's so interesting to see the difference in pace. Yeah. It's not to say that they drag their heels once the book's out or or um, or drag their heels with getting translation rights and film rights. Wouldn't that be nice one day? <laughs> but they have got film rights for some of their books. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know why that's happened, actually. It's um, normally, I would have, they would have stuck to the date, but that, I don't know. It's all good. I'm not worried. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just I'm amazed that um, you that, that it, things can change so close to the deadline in, in like a positive way. You know, it shows you how quick digital first can work versus obviously when you're going kind of mass printing published um, physical copies, mm-hmm. you can't afford to be uh, you can't change things. Like you you have to be committed to something, and it's mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a testament to digital first that you can do things like that. Yeah, lots of people don't say they don't like um, reading on Kindle or whatever um, e-form. I, I used to be like that, but um, it's so handy, isn't it? <laughs> it really yeah. is. Yeah, we, yeah, when yeah. we travel back and forward to Italy, we have to have my books and my packets of tea. But the books take up so much room, we sort of put them underneath the spare wheel and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they become the furniture right they become the furniture yes <laughs> yeah, yeah and i tell you as a fantasy reader um it's i love to have a massive like tome of a book mm-hmm. but i trying to read them sort of back to, like it's exhausting reading mm-hmm. a giant book that i i can't hold it up i have to like rest it on something so having it every now and again just putting something on a kindle is just so yeah. easy it's so it's quite, it could be quite <laughs> injurious and painful these big books because i read oh, yeah. in bed as well and I, there's nothing more annoying when you want to read on and you're just your eyes keep closing and then your book falls on your nose well the bigger the book the bigger the bruise on your nose yeah i mean and anyone listening who knows the size of brandon sanderson's books i read those in their entirety if i fell asleep that would knock me out (laughs) (laughs) i'd I'd have a big bruise on my forehead probably and wake up in the morning um (laughs) but getting back to you uh do you um you've been writing for a while now do you have any sort of like writing rituals or routines that, that or, or something maybe that you, you sort of can't write without? Well, I have to write indoors, really. Sometimes I, I get airy-fairy and I take a notepad and pencil to the river because we live near the river in Italy, but I can't concentrate there. And so I prefer to write in the morning. Mm. I have my back to the window so I can't be distracted by anything going on out there and I can't write with music on at all I have to have I suppose I have to have the music in my head really yeah um and um I set my do set myself a write a word count because otherwise I can find too many other things to do like a I baked a cake this morning. I could have gone on and done something else. I don't know. Um, so I have a word count, have to have quiet, 
and no distraction. Um, yeah. then, it's, then it's easier to sort of enter into the world that you're creating. Yeah. Well, it is for me anyway. So. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, but before we do the, the final question, um, you had, uh, let's say a bumpy ride, uh, through sort of publishing, going between different publishers and publishers folding and things like that. Mm-hmm. If you could go back in time, uh, before you, you kind of first got into the, the publishing world, what, what advice would you give yourself? Goodness. Right. Well, well, first I often think what would it have been like if I'd been younger when I started writing? But then I think, well, if I'd been younger, I probably wouldn't have had as much to write about. I wouldn't have had the life experiences. So um, I suppose I'm saying that don't force yourself to do something unless your heart tells you to do it. Um I, oh gosh, this is such a difficult question, <laughs> Jamie. I can usually waffle on. Um, I, I haven't, I'd have never done a, I did a degree in Italian. I sometimes think, gosh, if I'd done English and Italian as minor, maybe I, I could have written something more literary. I don't know. I'm not giving you an answer, really. I, I just, my advice would be just go with the flow and I'm not, I haven't really looked into the commercial side of it for myself, but I'm quite happy for other people to do that with me and get their royalties. Okay. <laughs> I haven't answered your question very well, have I? You've answered lots of other questions, though, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, just I think... Right, just right. And then, yeah, just right. See what happens, and, and people liked what I'd written. I wrote, wrote short stories as well, and I've had them published in magazines. And so that gave okay. me more confidence. Yes, I suppose yeah. that's a sensible thing to say to you, get your confidence <laughs> up. Yeah, be confident, but also just kind of, you know, whatever will happen will happen. Um, and these things, are not, these things are not, there's no set path through publishing. There's no, like, this is how you get a book published and, and you know, have a successful um, career in publishing. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that brings us to the final question, which as always is, Angela, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would it be? Okay, I think people will say it depends, it could change that <laughs> that answer can change what my constant reply to that is Anthony Durr's book all the light we cannot see and I've got this copy I've got in my hands Um, I must have fallen in the river at some stage because it's got (laughs) water it's all bent and curly Mm -hmm. but I have got I've got three copies of this and um, it took Anthony Durr 10 years to write um it's sublime. It's I've read it during COVID again. I've got little stickers sticking out of it. Um, from the first page, it's just so beautifully written. Each page is like a jewel for me. It's mm. very descriptive. Um, it has a huge message about war. And um, I don't, have you read it at all? Have you? I've not. No. No. Um, it won the Pulitzer Prize. So. Um, can't be bad can it (laughs) someone thinks it's good (laughs) um it's it's the 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 war seen through the eyes of two children 
One is a, a French girl called Marie Laure, and she's blind. She um, so and she's so she's experiencing the war through the help of her father, who teaches her how to to navigate the streets and find her way home. And she's um, and her father works in the Museum of Natural History and and, and is, is in charge of a diamond. Which is invaluable, and then on the and the Nazis, the particular Nazi is after after this jewel, um, and then on the other side of it is Werner, who's a German boy, who is an orphan, brought up in an orphanage, and they discover that he has a particular talent for get putting radios together uh, from bits and bobs that he finds in in. Scrap lying around, and they're, so, they're two very different people. And the book jumps um, from um, year to year in in no seemingly uh, chronological order, but it all it, it all fits in together like an amazingly beautiful jigsaw. And I I just think it's charming, and it, and. Um, the, the first chapter, the chapters have all got um, names to them as well. They're not chapter one. They're all, the first one is leaflets. But all I'll say is read it for yourselves. It's very rich. It's not a book that you can read in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Sounds amazing. Absolutely beautiful imagery in it. I like imagery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds, it sounds wonderful. It sounds like a really interesting um, uh, perspective to, to kind of view those historical events the, the war through um well thank you so much angela for coming on the podcast and sharing your your writing experience and your sort of your journey through publishing it's been really really great chatting with you thank you jamie and sorry if i waffled on <laughs> <laughs> that's all right we love a bit of waffle um and for anyone listening if you want to keep up with things that uh, angela is doing and, and hear about what she's up to you can follow her on twitter at angela underscore patch on instagram at angela underscore morris which is m-a-u-r-i-c-e uh, or on facebook you can find her as angela patch author to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow along on twitter instagram tiktok and facebook there's also now a patreon for exclusive access and content for more bookish chat check out my other podcast the chosen ones and other tropes thanks again to angela and thanks to everyone listening we'll catch you on the next episode